What's in the bag? A shark or something? Put the bunny back in the box. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Casper. This is Frank Bellicone. You are listening to The Quick Cage. And Frank, uh, which Nick Cage movie are you going to talk about tonight? Uh, So tonight, at the um, recommendation of one of our Facebook fans, uh, Wilson McLaughlin from Edinburgh. I hope I didn't brutalize the pronunciation of Edinburgh because I don't know how you say it and Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, Scotland, right? Is that where Edinburgh is? Yes. I don't know um pardon my apologies wilson um we're going to talk about 1984's birdie um stars uh, matthew modine alongside nicholas cage it's a combination coming of age um i don't know vietnam like returning from vietnam vet story um that follows uh, cage and modine as they grow up in philadelphia in um the 1960s and then are drafted well cage um enlists in the army modine is drafted and then um the problems that they encounter uh post-release both of them being injured like in the war um so the basic gist of the movie is that um cage is this uh popular athletic wrestler in the 60s who befriends um matthew modine's birdie character who's a Possibly, I, I would say, like, maybe on the spectrum is, like, what you would call him now. I wouldn't say, like, autistic necessarily, but mm-hmm. um, definitely, like, some sort of, like, uh, social um, social difficulties. Who's obsessed with birds, um, hence the nickname. Um, first mm-hmm. with uh, raising uh, carrier pigeons, and then later with the idea that he wants to become a bird himself. So he's looking for ways that he can lose weight and muscle density but also gain strength so that he can fly <coughs> i'm going to apologize in advance i'm a little congested tonight so my voice might be a little weird and i might cough like a fucking grandpa so apologies um so the two of them like gain this friendship that grows together um birdie's mother is like kind of the local I don't know what you would call her, like witch sort of is what people think of her. She um, steals all the baseballs that people hit into their yard from the local like ball field. Um, uh, Nick Cage's dad, um, Al is his character. Nick Cage's Al. Um, Nick Cage's dad is a garbage man, kind of a violent, like abusive, um, I don't know, stereotypical, whatever, like blue collar father from most movies you see in the 60s um or from their set in that era so it's told in a series of um both flashbacks to their childhood like growing up in philly and then um the modern day where nick cage has survived um like a violent attack in vietnam but his um his face has been kind of disfigured like he said, have his jaw reconstructed and he wears bandages all the time. Um, 
Matthew Modine survived a, a birdie survived a helicopter crash where his entire um, troop was wiped out. Um, and he survived, but it kind of pushed him into a, um, like a non-communicative state where he kind of just hops around like a bird and they have him in a mental institution. So as a form of radical therapy, um, Birdie's therapist has taken Al from where he's recuperating in Fort Dix, um, who also has some psychological problems because he's anti-authoritarian and has had several incidents of violence against authority and brings him to the mental hospital where Birdie is to try and bring Birdie out of his like catatonic state. Um, so the movie switches back and forth between seeing their adventures as kids, um, high school seniors or whatever they, yeah, I guess they're high school seniors, um, and this modern um, state that they're in. Um, it's an oddly like human performance from Cage, although I guess like being so early in his career, like he really hadn't found there's still some weird like affectations to it and nobody sounds like they're from Philadelphia, but um, right. like it's, it's, it's a mostly controlled performance. Um, I would say one of the better cage performances, like of, you know, that first like quarter of his, um, his acting career. Um, Modine is actually the best part of the movie. I think like his character is really um, for playing this like a eccentric, like aloof, like weirdo. He's um lends a lot of humanity to the role. Um, basically, Modine, I guess, kind of made his living playing like these disaffected weirdos in a lot of ways. Um, so that's just what he's doing here. Um, but it's good, uh, his performance in it. Um, Al is like a typical, whatever, like red-blooded American male. So he's obsessed with um, women and trying to get laid and... Um, Birdie is just always obsessed with, with birds, basically, and has no interest in the opposite sex. Um, no real implication of any kind of, like, homosexual relationship, just, like, a very close bond of, like, love between the two. Um, there is an amazing, and I wish I would have written down the entire soliloquy. I couldn't find it quoted on uh, the internet. Um, where Nick Cage, Al, is standing on the beach and is waxing poetic about the female breast and how like amazing the female breast is and how perfect, like aside from being like a life sustaining, whatever, you know, like um, nutritional thing for like children that is also like this amazing sexual component to any like healthy relationship. And I mean, it's like a, it's like a, like, like minute long soliloquy where he's talking about it. And Birdie's reaction is basically like they're like cow's udders just in the wrong place. Um, a <laughs> little long, I think. Maybe I'm like, I kind of felt like they could have gotten to the point a little faster, um, especially when they're going through like all their misadventures and stuff. Um, but they learn a lot from each other and grow from each other. Like um, for a while, like Al kind of brings out more of a human side to Birdie, and Birdie kind of makes Al. A little more sensitive and um, open to looking at like the beauty of the world um, rather than just being like whatever like thinking with his dick for the most part um, but then it also shows the other side of like you know the PTSD of coming out of the war in Vietnam and um, like how messed up a lot of people were and even though both of their psychological conditions especially Birdie is like really extreme like it still is a 
a really humanistic look at um like kind of like the how we misunderstood mental health i think for a long time in this country um not that the doctors are portrayed as like sadists or whatever it's not like one flew over the cuckoo's nest i mean there's you feel like there's a genuine desire from the doctors to try and help birdie get better um and maybe even uh al as a result um it still shows like you know i mean the institution looks like an institution it's a <coughs> you know it feels like dingy and almost prison like um Yeah, I mean, it was it was good. It was better than I expected to be. Like, for as much as I had um, sort of put off watching it because I thought it would be terrible, um, I was pleasantly surprised. So it was a good recommendation um, to watch. Well, I think your I think your only hope left, honestly, is those early eighty movies, possibly, right? Uh, yeah, maybe Amos and Andrew is better than I remember it being. Yeah, maybe um. We already watched. I already watched Honeymoon in Vegas. I keep forgetting that. <laughs> yes. Uh, Which I found yeah. out today. I didn't. I don't think I. I don't remember mentioning it during the podcast. But he was nominated for a Golden Globe for that movie. <sighs> you got nominated. Nominate someone, right? So, one thing, like I, it feels like this is Cage's artistic coming out. I know Valley Girls the year before this, and it's kind of like his first, like kind of like major leading role it seems um but i i I listened to a couple interviews with cage um and alan parker the director and um matthew modine because they did a lot of interviews together it seemed um at this point in cage's life he was uh when i was watching the interviews he's he's very subdued like um monosyllabic in his answers um almost like he's like confused by like the attention that he's getting and or doesn't know how to respond to media he's not like you know he's very eloquent now um uh and and has no problem talking about himself and his films and those kind of things but um he's really stilted at the beginning of his career like this but it really feels like just from the coverage i was seeing and the questions that were being asked um it feels like both this was him and modine's like coming out in an artistic way as opposed to just being in like things like you know small roles or rom-coms and stuff like that um so i think this is a pretty pivotal movie in cage's filmography it seems yeah um i mean he's only 20 when this movie yeah probably only like 19 years old when he's filming this movie so he's really playing like the age that the character is like in the movie um mm-hmm. I think that I enjoy his performance in Valley Girl maybe a little more. Like, I like that character more. Um, and I think maybe I liked Valley Girl a little more just in general as a movie. Um, and I don't think the other movies are perfect, but I thought they were both entertaining. Yeah. I'm curious to watch, um, like, Racing with the Moon and Cotton Club now. Right. Um, Boy in Blue, just to see, like, what they're like, because that's really, like, all around the same time. Um. Because once you get to Peggy Sue Got Married, when he's got that weird, like, vocal fry thing going on and just mm-hmm. completely, like, obnoxiously, like, exaggerating the characteristics of the person he's playing, like, it's inter- it'll be interesting to see if there's an evolution there between Birdie and that um, yeah. in Boy and Blue. Or, and I've never seen Racing with the Moon, so I don't know. Um, curious to watch it. I don't really want to give away too much about this movie because I think that it's 
it, it's honestly like worth watching if you can if you like just kind of like small like personal dramas um this directed by alan parker who's you know a fairly accomplished director um responsible for a decent amount of i don't know if you'll call them hits but like you know definitely like some notable films like oh, he's, the he's the director of pink floyd's the wall which is you know pretty um you know iconic in a lot of ways but um yeah i was looking through his filmography um to see like i mean he's got midnight express is a decent movie i think you don't like that right i'm not a fan of midnight express yeah um but midnight express i think is good um <laughs> i mean know, angel heart though a guy like a lot and the commitments is the commitments maybe is one of my one yeah. of my favorite movies it's, of the 90s it's i think it's the best movie probably looking at the list is commitments um, but yeah, an accomplished director. I mean, the road to Wellville. I actually did try to give that another shot during COVID and couldn't, still didn't like it. But um, um, I enjoyed Evita. I mean, he's yeah. definitely like into music in his movies. Sure, but um, yeah, I mean, it's very accomplished. He's not my cup of tea necessarily most of the time. Um, but accomplished director. I mean, <clears throat> it's um. It's interesting, though, that, like, so the soundtrack, the, the score to this movie is very much set in the 80s. Like, it feels, like, very 80s in terms of, like, the, it's not, like, like super, like, synthy, like, most stuff in the 80s, but it definitely doesn't feel, like, appropriate to, like, the 60s. So right. it's kind of, um, kind of interesting, like, to have a score like that, like, um, set in a movie in this era, and he does a lot of really, um, I don't know, not 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 really groundbreaking, but he does a lot of like interesting camera work, um, including one scene where Birdie is uh, dreaming about being a bird, and he almost goes to like Evil Dead style filming, but like at a like the height of like an average human's head, so it's kind of like flying over the street, um, like through the city as like people are whatever, like playing stickball and out like just living their lives and it's um it's pretty interesting yeah do you, i mean i don't know if you know this because i i knew that you were going to talk about this soon um and i did a little research on it um this was actually the first um ever use of a sky cam um ever oh um for that scene that you're talking about um uh they only got like 40 seconds of footage from it before it malfunctioned um so they ended up having to like change some stuff on the fly, but uh, that that forty seconds is incorporated into that like sequence. Um, but yeah, um, so it's notable for that. And you mentioned the score. Do you know who did the score? Uh, uh-uh. Peter Gabriel. Oh did yeah, the, did the entire thing. Yeah, that's um, it. Was the first time he ever worked on a feature film. Well, it's really good. Like I said, it's it's not a hundred percent what you would expect, but I think in a lot of ways that makes it. Um, like even more effective mm-hmm. so yeah i mean i i genuinely enjoyed it like i thought it was a good movie um i thought the dialogue was a little silly at times but i also thought that it was appropriately like heartwarming at other times um and i did enjoy cage's performance in it so, so there's one thing i want to talk about with this movie though and i want to get your opinion on this i felt it felt very much like an 80s movie to me because it felt like 
it was almost an apology for Vietnam in a lot of ways. And I feel like that's a really like prevalent thing in um, early to mid eighties film mm-hmm. is these directors who maybe grew up like outside the time where they could have served in Vietnam or they did serve or they knew someone that served. And it's like almost like a cleansing of our culture of the guilt over how we treated like returning veterans mm-hmm. or just over the fact that like, I mean, I can't remember how many people died in Vietnam, but like the exorbitant number of deaths in Vietnam and the fact that it basically like altered an entire generation of men um, in this country. Um, how do you feel about like that? And I know like how you feel about things like Full Metal Jacket, but I don't even talk necessarily about like straight war movies. Like there's a lot of movies from early 80s through like the late 80s that are very definitely about or have characters who are returning Vietnam War veterans and deals with them in different ways. And I, I just, I find it really last night I was thinking how fascinating it is to like watch a movie like that and see it told in the perspective that Parker chooses and it's based off of a book. So not a hundred percent like Parker's doing, but you know, I mean like he really does, I think a good job of interweaving like the flashback stuff with the modern stuff and just sort of trying to show these people in like a kinder light, maybe at a time where we weren't fully ready to like talk about like how awful that was. I don't think. So what's your question exactly? I don't know. I mean, just had like, I don't know how to feel about those movies, I guess. Like sometimes. You mean like in the sense of like they're ex- could be exploitative or? No, see, I think it's the opposite. Like I think, I think when you watch World War II movies, especially ones that come from people that served or were alive during World War II. Right. They're always very strongly nationalistic and. Yes. Very pro-American. And there's very little where you see a World War II film where anyone who's an American or allied participant is portrayed in anything but a positive light. Mm-hmm. But the movies that take place in like the post-Vietnam era tend to be a lot more critical of America, or at least like a lot softer towards their view of like, was it right to send people over there to die? Like, yeah well there's 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 a scene in birdie where they finally show how birdie like basically got injured in the war and it's really fucking horrific i mean it's like this lingering scene of like him he's been thrown from the helicopter and he's the only survivor and parker just like slowly lingers over these like smoldering corpses and like people's like bodies just like blown up like across this field and Birdie starts screaming, and then it pans away from Birdie screaming. But you just keep hearing him, like, scream in the background. Like, as it moves over these corpses, it just shows, like, just the absolute, like, devastation of this group of people. Yeah. And it's, um, it's like the complete opposite of any kind of glorification. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that even, like, you know, like, you watch World War II movies now. And even though, like, I think they're a little more graphic and a little more, like, not a movie, but, you know, you watch, like, Band of Brothers or Saving right. Private Ryan or whatever, um, it still is, like, a glorification of our role in that war, whereas, like, in Vietnam, like, you don't really get that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, honestly, it's just the, I mean, the difference there, I would have to say, is 
just the political attitudes of the left um, in the country at the times. Like, I mean, the left, there wasn't a large anti-war effort during World War II, largely because I think the like everybody was kind of on the same page in the idea that it was justified. Um, and um, I mean, you think about like, you know, Hollywood is, you know, full of communists, right? Around that time, supposedly. Um, you know, so, I mean, I think fighting the fascists um, was, you know, it's, it's like you're going to portray it more as this kind of heroic thing where, um, you know, Vietnam was viewed as unjustified by the left um, uh, in most circles. And so the, you know, the artistic types here and the directors and the writers are all going to be writing stories that kind of, you know, talk about the horror and devastation of Vietnam. Um, so, I mean, I think that's just like, why that's happening um how i feel about them um because it is like a sub branch of war movies i'm not a big fan of war movies i think you know that not that i don't like any of them but it's like i i they're few and far between um i i don't enjoy watching them um probably because of the tropes in terms of the subgenre of like you know i'm trying to think is like is Taxi Driver maybe the first one where you get like a Vietnam vet that's like, mm. like I mean I'm not an expert on this genre but I'm just trying to think about like famous movies that like have yeah, Vietnam vets in them and um, there, there's actually a lot of exploitation films from the early 70s yeah that are looking at like the return of um, war veterans mm. like isn't that um that's a hundred Across 110th Street, right? They're the one guy is like has just returned from Vietnam or whatever. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, you're right. Um, that's like 72. So, yeah, like there's a lot of stuff that takes place in. Yeah, it, it's a lot more prevalent in the 80s because there's um, right things like Missing in Action and I don't yeah. know, Delta Force and all that. I'm trying stuff to think. Rolling, Rolling Thunder 70s, right? Yeah. Um. What's um what's first blood? Is that eighty two? Yeah, eighty two. Um, but yeah. and so this this was the other thing I was thinking after this because I was like comparing it in my head to World War Two movies. It's the same thing with Desert Storm movies. Like if you look at anything that takes place from Desert Storm on, mm-hmm. aside from something like Three Kings, which I don't even really know if it's really a war movie, it's more of a heist movie, right? That just happens to like use mm-hmm. you know soldiers as characters. Right. The majority of stuff that's filmed about the conflict in the Middle East is very pro-American again. Um, like American Sniper and Zero Dark Thirty and Her Locker. And, um, right. Yeah. Uh, what's yeah. that awful Benghazi movie? Um, yeah, right. I can't remember. Uh-huh. But um, like all those, like again, like they turn around the other way and they become much more pro-American. Which inter- which is interesting, actually. Like you know, kind of ruins what I was saying to some degree about like you know, the way the left feels about the war in the country. Um, so this was my question. Although plenty, look, plenty of politicians certainly voted for you know, like you know, all of that, like from the from the left. So plenty of Democrats voted for it. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was plenty of justifications, like in you know. Um, among Democrats of like why we should be doing this and there still are um, in terms of uh, Biden pull, trying to pull out of Afghanistan now so yeah. um, of, the, of the Democrats like sitting there and criticizing him for doing that so um, so yeah I mean it seems like a Middle East stuff like you know there is a little bit more support for there was like no support among 
the left in terms of Vietnam. So I, I feel bad for making this like a, a like actual heavy conversation inside a quick cage, and yeah. instead of like me making fun of Nick Cage's voice and yeah, combo breaker, right? Right. Um, I will say that they give him this fucking prosthetic face, like mouth and shit. And he's got this fucked up grill, like missing teeth and like jagged teeth. And uh, you, you know the story, right? Uh the, the missing teeth are real. Well, he didn't have those teeth. Um, it, 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 it's like kind of like Hollywood legend that, like, you know, he had the teeth extracted for the movie. Um, but because he's so young, it was actually a procedure that he had to have already um, to have baby teeth removed. Um, I'm not sure if I buy that completely 100% because what 19 year old still has baby teeth, but um, okay. But anyway, and, and maybe he like among his recountings, like doesn't know the terminology for it, you know? Right. Um, but he had a procedure that was planned and he pushed it back to coincide with the filming of this so that he could feel, and he says that he did it without any kind of, um, uh, medication or um you know what, what novocaine or whatever um um and had him pulled like extracted like you know during a real medical procedure without any of this so he could feel the pain and like feel the like, kind of like deformed nature of it and stuff like that to get mm -hmm. into the headspace of this so um whether that's like half bullshit or not but that's the story that goes around is that he had teeth extracted um for this role particularly in order to get into the headspace of it. He also wore the bandages around. Um, oh, like for, like in his real, like, waking life? Yes. Um, to, to, to kind of, like, try to stay in the mindset of, of the character some. Um, this is, Cage is really into method at this point um, before he kind of, like, adapts his acting style and his method and stuff like that but he's really in the method at this point so yeah, yeah he he does all that stuff but yeah it's like um it was like the big story around cage for this for this movie is is the teeth thing always came up in like every interview um there's a really funny scene where um they go to uh i guess they go to atlantic city maybe they go to the jersey shore i guess maybe some of them in like seaside or something um, they pick up two girls, and Cage's girl is like automatically smitten with them. And Birdie's girl is like trying to get Birdie to like be interested, but Birdie just wants to talk about like, um, like the flight patterns of birds and shit. Mm -hmm. And so, there's a scene where Cage is like having sex with this woman, like under a boardwalk, and Birdie's like just kind of like staring at him and like looking back at the girl. And I don't know, it's um, <laughs> I don't know, this is pretty hilarious. That's where the, the boob soliloquy comes is after mm -hmm. that. Like, Birdie, gotcha. Birdie, we need to get you to socialize a little more, man. We got a woman there, and she, she wants you to touch her tits. You got to touch her tits. And that girl had two really big, what does he call them, bazooms, <laughs> like right on the front of her. Uh, I just don't see the point. Like, they're just useless, useless hanging sacks of meat. No, Birdie, <laughs> the beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> the um the only thing I've seen from this movie um because as um Bledsoe and I uh, have noted um in our group text thread like uh this podcast or supplemental podcast has permeated our fucking feeds like crazy um 
YouTube has like recommended to me before the um the cage scene uh where he's holding Birdie um in the yeah. in the room like it's like a four minute scene or something like that. Um, so that's the only thing I've actually seen from this movie. Um, it's a really great scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's all, that's all I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can see where, like, you know, definitely it feels like a probably like a breakthrough performance for this guy at this young of an age. Sure. Him and him and Modine both. I yeah. Mean, I think that um, <laughs> probably like if you really think about it, like, kind of helped to propel. Um, it, it's in the same way when we talked about Scream the other night, you know, like basically opening a door for a lot of those people for at least like two or three years to, sure, you know, I mean, this is like what I think probably opened that door in a lot of ways for them to get a bunch of roles. And Cage much more successful. I mean, because um, Modine, I was looking at his filmography as you were talking earlier, and it's like he gets Vision Quest the next year and then full metal jacket the year after that and then married to the mob the year after that but like and like he's the lead in a lot of stuff like you know memphis bell and pacific heights like in 90 but it's like his career is a is a is an odd one it's 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 weird it's it's real weird um and really just kind of goes downhill a lot like in a lot of ways to the point where take out stranger things. What's the last thing you've seen Matthew Modine in? If you can remember. Uh, oh, there's I'm one looking, that you, oh, fuck you. There's one that you just saw that like, I'm looking know. through his filmography. Uh, all right, let me go to the end and work backwards. I, I know what the one that you last saw is. I was wondering if you could actually remember it being in it. Oh yeah. Wrong turn. Yeah. 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 Um. Before that, uh, I saw that um Sicario movie, mm-hmm. Day of the Soldado. I saw Forty Seven Meters Down. Um. Which whatever. Right. You saw Army of One. I know that Army of One, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's barely in that movie, though. Right. Sure. I mean, it's like maybe he has five minutes of a scene in it. Yeah. So the last thing I've seen with him in is Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Um really there's not much after that. Yeah. It's that. it's it's a weird filmography full of stuff that I, I have I don't know. I mean Transporter it's, two I saw. That's all the uh, way back in two thousand and five though. It's like before that Jeez, before 2012 when he does Dark Knight Rises, I think the only other thing I've seen him in is... Any Given Sunday? Uh, Almost. Bamboo's what I've seen. Um, oh, right, right, yeah. And then Every Given Sunday, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a weird career. I know I've seen him in West Wing. He was in an episode, and, like, there's some, like, some TV stuff that I've seen, like, with him in it, but... um. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a real strange career. Um, I don't know what that's about. It feels like he just gravitated to TV a little more, though. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue. Um, so <clears throat> I spend way too much time looking at the Nicolas Cage filmography, um, but oddly, I've never clicked on just like the link to his filmography before, like from from Wikipedia, which is slightly different. Like 
when you click on it internally inside his wiki page. Uh -huh. So I never and I never scrolled down really far, like all the way to the end to see the television. Um, and I'm going to blame this on you because you've opened this can of worms technically <laughs> by wanting to talk about the history of swear words. Um, there are two things that Nicolas Cage has done that are on television. Um, one is an episode of Saturday Night Live in 1992. And the other is a television pilot that was not picked up um, that stars... Nicholas Cage and Crispin Glover as one of seven teens um, in a show called The Best of Times, um, which is free and available on YouTube. So I think, considering there's only two of those things right there, um, and you've already done History of Swear Words, I kind of think that we have to do those at some point. I think we have to review his, his Saturday Night Live episode, and I think we have to have to watch this Best of Times thing. That's fine. And I think we should do them as watch. Yeah. I think we should do them as watch alongs. Okay, I'm good with that. It'll be um a nice week right now to watch some terrible fucking garbage that I'm gonna have to watch now because <laughs> running dangerously low. Right. I mean, look, uh, you're gonna have to watch it at some point. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, how many movies do I have left? Like fifteen. <laughs> Um, I mean, technically, right now, I think we're in the last week of October, the first week of November. Um, so yeah, it's about that. Like, I, I don't, I can't, I don't have the document up to count them. I don't think, but um, um, yeah, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's about that. Like when we counted last week. Um, so that gives us two more weeks, and then um, also. Um, you'll have Pig at some point, which is um, not playing locally for us. Um, yeah, it's a shame. It's playing up on Cocker Pike or whatever, I, I think, but um, but not you know, near us. Um, well, at least Regal is not. <laughs> but um, and then other big Cajun news this week. Um. Actually, two pieces of Cajun news this week. Um, one I'll let you describe. Um, but one of them is that, um, you know, uh, which multiple people have also told us about after I texted you about it yesterday. Um, we've had two other friends of the podcast, uh, Jason Heaster and Orion, like both text us and tell us that the, um, uh, uh, oh, what's the fuck? The Tiger King movie is off. Um, not happening now where Cage was going to play. What's the name? Joe Exotic. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so that's done. Um, and Cage apparently said that um, Prime has decided to move on because it doesn't feel relevant anymore. And that feels exactly right, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, so somebody's gone ahead with one, though, because there was two different projects in development. I think it's Peacock is going ahead with theirs, um, which um, has John Cameron Mitchell from um, um, Hedwig. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I'm, I'm assuming he'll like do some kind of like terrible movie, like set in like, you know, um, I don't know, like the Ukraine or something, um, you know, and backed by, um, Russian money, um, for 2022, um, to fill in the gaps here. So you'll have that to look forward to next year. Um, so yeah, but the other piece of Cage news, um, 
Butzer texted you about. Do you remember this? I do. <laughs> um, Tiffany so Haddish is her name. Tiffany yeah. Haddish. Yeah, I know. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, was recently filming um, the unbearable weight of massive talent with Nicolas Cage. Um, I guess like last year was filming it and revealed that it was really uncomfortable um, for her to act with him at first because her first orgasm came while being um, uh, pleasured by a man in an auditorium while watching Face Off. So she came looking into Nicolas Cage's big moist eyes and that was like when she looked at him that was like the uncomfortable thing so it's actually in my opinion like a really creepy article to read like mm-hmm. even though it's like shouldn't be creepy it's just like kind of the way that it's portrayed yes um but there's one um one really funny like quote in it um where she's describing like how nicholas cage got really frustrated with her because like she was definitely holding back and he was like what the fuck's your problem? And she said, look, I need to tell you something and I need you not to be weird about it. I just got to tell you because then I can get past this. And she told him and he laughed really hard and said that that was also um, how he met Patricia Arquette because um, she thought the same thing the first time she saw him was that like, I'm going to marry that dude. Mm-hmm. So um, Haddish's response was, I said, yeah, well, I didn't say that I was going to marry you nor let you put your fingers anywhere on me, okay? I'm just letting you know. Um, Which is actually the end of the article and, like, a perfectly fitting, Mm -hmm. I guess, end to that conversation. But, yeah, it was... um, I don't know how to feel in this day and age where, Mm -hmm. I don't know, we have so many, like, things in the world to talk about, and I spent three minutes reading an article about Tiffany Haddish getting fingered in 1997 to face off um, and having her first orgasm. So I try to explain it to me. How, how does it make you feel? Weird. It... <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, it's like, I'm a weary, a weary. I, wish I mean, I, I had a similar experience <laughs> staring at um, Leonardo DiCaprio, I think specifically in um, quick in the dead. And then another similar experience watching Species. So I guess to Natasha Anstridge. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how many, you know, I never wanted to. I've never been in the room with those people. So who knows how it would feel. Sure. Um, um, yeah. I mean, cop and a half. Um, for me. Man, I was I always made the most inappropriate jokes. <laughs> right um we're 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 live here brother uh right um cop and a half indecent proposal um well, kind of sense a little bit yeah yeah it was just circumstance that had nothing to do with the actual movie um but cop and a half that had to do with the movie <laughs> i think that was also just circumstance mm-hmm. um uh uh, what was right else also around that time? Oh, Dr. Giggles. Dr. Giggles. Well, I get erect thinking about Dr. Giggles just without anything, so. Right. <coughs> oh, fuck. So, all right. 
so we did not solve um, anything about the um that movies. Um, yeah. We um we're doing a first watch of the Best of Times television pilot and the Saturday Night Live episode of Cage. Is that well, next week? Uh what do you want to do that? Yeah, that's fine because Frankie's still going to be gone. So the Saturday Night Live one or the Best of Times one? We're not going to do them together. Oh, do you want to do them together? That's fine. Might okay. Well. I mean, all right, that's fine. Yeah, because they're normally two hours. We can do that. There's also a weekend update that we should probably just throw in since it's also like, but it's from 2012 rather than this is 92 cage, by the way, too. So this is like yeah. the Vegas cage. Um, that's fine because it might actually be funny Saturday Night Live at that point. Could they? Could they? We'll see. Um, it's, and, and I had to look it up today and find it. It's um, we'll have to watch it on Peacock. Um, because Hulu, even though it says it has Saturday Night Live, it like basically is missing seasons 11 through 29 or something like that um, it's a really odd gap it is um so it's only on peacock um so that'll have ads but um i did see when i looked it up today to save it it is a season premiere um so cage is getting um high billing in 1992 for saturday night live um in a season premiere and then you've had to have seen the weekend update cameo that he did like in 2012, right? I've seen it in the past like two months, yeah, I think. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, right. But we'll throw that in there as well. Um, Unlike you, I don't get recommended a lot of um, Nicolas Cage stuff. So I'm good. <laughs> right. Well, you, right. You just. My feed probably takes pity on me because it's like, does he really need any more? Uh, pathetic fallacy. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be nice if it really did act like that. I think I, I thought there was something else I wanted to talk about tonight, but now I can't remember. So I guess that's it. I'm really excited um, for the Green Knight to come out next week and to go back to the movies for the first time. Is that this weekend or next weekend? It's the 23rd, so next okay. weekend. I was hoping there would be something coming out this weekend, but it's all trash. It would have been Pig, right? Yeah. But not that. And I'm not going to go see the Forever Purge or whatever the fuck. It's and really weird. Movies. Did you look up, like, our local theater? Like, um... Uh, oh, the People Plaza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's what I mean. Um, of, like, there's only, like, four movies showing. What's that about? Let me look. They have something on, like, six screens. I know. I'm I clicking. Think... I'm clicking on Friday now, and it's only showing Black Widow. <laughs> that's just fucking weird. That because that's not what it said the other day. But I think they've um. So there's Escape Room. Right. Um, is on one screen. This Anthony Bourdain movie's on one screen. Space Jam is on two screens. That's four screens. Black Widow is on four screens. Three? Four. Okay. That three o'clock is not far enough away from the 1240 to be in the same auditorium. Gotcha. It's four screens. Gotcha. So that's eight screens. Then Boss Baby is nine. Forever Purge is ten. Yeah, it's only like 11, 11 auditoriums. Yeah. 
<laughs> they were not they, they were not even showing this much the other day when i looked it up like oh they probably didn't they probably hadn't uploaded the bookings yet yeah it was probably just whatever you could pre-purchase yeah because like far it, away right right if you go out right now to friday the 23rd you got um well what the, yeah they weren't showing f9 um purge and roadrunner is what they weren't showing they were just showing those first four movies. Oh, so here's something concerning. If you go out to the 23rd, they have their pre-order movies. Yeah. And it's Joe Bell, whatever the fuck that is. Um, old. And then the Snake Eyes. Um, Snake Eyes movie. So yeah. if those motherfuckers don't have Green Knight and I got to go up to Christiana, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> of course, they don't, they don't have it either. Um... Well, they had Lighthouse. I mean, pre-COVID, but they had Lighthouse. Um, um, it looks like everybody just has this old movie. Oh, I know what old is. Yeah, it's the Shyamalan-like movie. Yeah. 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 With the guy from um, Hereditary, who anybody that like, knows horror is going to look at it and not be able to, like, not I imagine Hereditary. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so apparently this is the last thing, film thing, Joe Bell is the last thing that Larry McMurtry worked on, um, before he died. Um, it is a, uh, movie, uh, centered on the true story of Joe Bell, a man who started to undertake a walk across the United States to raise awareness of bullying following the suicide of his son. Um, it stars Mark Wahlberg um, uh, and Connie Britton. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Gary Sinise, Morgan Lilly. Yeah. 53% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. So, bully for Joe <laughs> Bell. Hey, um, that's more people than are vaccinated <clears throat> fully. Way to bring everybody down. That's what I'm here for. That's what I good. feel like the purpose of my life is sometimes. <clears throat> to remind everybody that it all has very little meaning. <clears throat> yeah, you do a good job. Thank you. All right. So all right, cool. we're going Thanks, to do cool. Saturday. We're going to do Saturday Night Live this week for next week then. And, um, Whatever, the best of times. Wilson McLaughlin, you got any other recommendations? Feel free. <laughs> okay, hold on. Uh, all right, hold on. Um, it's actually nice to have a fan. Let me, let me just, okay, let me find this shit and just pull it up um, quickly. Okay, I found it. All right. <clears throat> so we can cross off Birdie. Um, so what Frank has left is the Cotton Club, Racing with the Moon, The Boy in Blue. A time to kill. Um, Not the good one, or maybe right. the good one. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Deadfall, which we know could be possibly good. I forgot about Deadfall. Um, I Hopefully, think it's just as good as fucking Arsenal. <laughs> um, Amos and Andrew, City of Angels. Oh God, this is this is dire. The Family Man. Um, fucking. Uh, Captain Corelli's, you know, mandolin. Um, 
World Trade Center, the ant, oh, the ant police pull it. No, hold on, gotta scroll past all these. Uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage, Snowden, um, and then it's just all of the animated movies that uh, you're going to combine in one episode. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13. You got 13 movies yet, Frank. That's not many. No. Like I said, I mean, we're in we're in the middle of July right now. Like I said, it's like early November. We'll be done. Well, Pig will be available somewhere by that point. So probably mid-November. It's all going to butt right up against like whatever we start after this for next year. Yeah. We're going to have like one month of a break and be back at something. I'm cool with that. <laughs> Fucking cage. Look, it's All been right. a, it's been quite the ride. It's been quite a journey. It's been quite a journey. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, it's it's given me stupid fucking knowledge. Like I without even when you said the boy in blue earlier, it's like oh right, that's direct, directed by Ned Hanlon, and it's like don't even know why I know that. It's just because I've seen that fucking name next to that movie for the past fucking seventy four weeks or whatever it is now. Um, so yeah, so I know Ned Hanlon like just off the top of my head, direct boy in blue. You know more than me because I don't pay attention to any of that shit. I just watch them. I don't got to know nothing. Wait, somehow you wrote me into this shit where it's like you're the one that's like watching them and giving like, you know, and it's like I'm I'm still the one that like ends up taking in all this knowledge. It's fine because, you know, I just, it's just a stream of conscious life for me. So like, you know, I just watch it and then right. I spew it out and then it's gone. I got to think about Grand Isle ever again. You know what I mean? But you know shit about Grand Isle. So who wins? Who indeed. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good week. Goodbye.